Hello there. My name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. I've interviewed a lot of people for the Audio Angling series and in setting the scene for those interviews, I've regularly outlined my vision for capturing nuggets of angling history for posterity, delivered straight from the horse's mouth. For people like me, who had the formative years of the 1960s and 70s, when information technology was little more than a printed column in either a daily newspaper or an angling magazine such as Creel, this involves a string of absolutely must-interview names. People like Les Moncrief, Des Bremen and Ian Gillespie, and occupying that number one slot, the great Clive Gammon. No one, it seemed, introduced, inspired, then influenced a whole generation of would-be sea anglers more than this South Wales school teacher both could and did. I actually got to fish with him on one occasion back in the early 1980s out from Tembe. As I recall, it was an Angling Times feature with Clive casting the role of teacher, showing a small group of us, the pupils, how to go about catching taupe. I remember it for being a grey, lumpy, miserable day which produced plenty of rays and huss, plus my first ever turbot. But only two taupe, in both cases to Clive's rod, just to underline the teacher-pupil relationship, if ever that was needed. And unfortunately, after stepping off the boat, I never got the chance to meet up with the great man again. Not until late October 2011, that is. Well into his 80s by that stage, and not enjoying the best of health either, accompanied by his son Nick and his daughter Lottie, we met up in a rather noisy little pub at Mumbles on the Gower. Normally what I do on these occasions is point the recorder at the interviewee, then record and mix in my contribution at a later stage. But with so much going on in the background, in this particular instance, an editor mix of that type will be totally out of the question here. So what follows now is largely the unedited interview in its entirety, as it came straight off the voice recorder. According to written accounts, your first attempt at sea fishing was at the age of six with your grandfather, catching whiting from Swansea's West Pier. That sounds absolutely correct to me. Yeah. Unless um, uh, catching whiting, rather catching the odd whiting. <laughs> <laughs> Can you sort of talk us through your very, very early formative years, how you got into fishing? Well, my, my, my grandfather was a great fisherman and he was a great help to me. Even after he was bedridden, I always remember bringing a tent, a ten-pound pike back to his bedside, and he was so thrilled. I'm sure he put about two years on his life. But he, was, he, he used to take me fishing when I was very small. After um, the Jersey Canal, you know, after rudd mainly, small fish on the West Pier, mm-hmm. with holes in it, as, as it was after the war. And um, we used to catch a lot of wise, you know, things, you know, he was absolutely, he was a lovely man, you know, he really was. And even when he was bedridden, he was, he, he would want my fishing stories, you know, what I'd been doing that week, you know, and loved it. There was very little in the way of reading material back then. It was a case of learning on the hoof, and it was people like you that actually provided the reading material for people like me. So how did you get your inspiration? How did you learn, or was it just teach yourself? I think it was a lot of teach yourself. Um, There were books, though. I mean, Richard Walker was writing, but I was a bit older then. And uh, he was was a a great fisherman, as you probably know, and a a great writer. 
But um, I think by the time I was probably about 18 or 19, there were fishing books on the market, and you know, in fact, I joined in. Yeah. Presumably, the kind of stuff that Dick Walker was doing would all be freshwater based. I mean, was there much in the way of sea fishing books? No, there wasn't, no. I was one of them, you know, I, I was, I hate saying this, but I was one of the, one of the first writers of, you know, of real sea fishing books, not about anything else, you know. I used to get on very well with Dick Walker. Mm. Yeah. 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 I knew him myself, actually. Pardon? I knew him myself. You knew him myself, I did, yeah. yeah. Only very briefly. Yeah. He used to have a, was it a machinery factory of some description down in Bedfordshire? Uh, was it was he making lawnmowers or something like that? What do you mean? What, was it his <coughs> his work? You mean? Yes, he had a factory, I believe. I don't, don't, don't I honestly don't know. But it was in in the east east parts. Yes. Bed was somewhere around yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. When you're going back to those days, I suppose tackle fishing tackle, whether it was the rods and reels or all the bits on the end, would be very very different then to what it is now. Well, in a way, not. I, mean, I think when I was growing up, I was very fortunate in in the in the way that tackle was being developed. You know, especially reels, especially yep. reels. And although they got obviously better since then, the real jump forward was when I was about ooh, I don't know what eighteen, six, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, was a real jump forward when when the. Um, Big spool reels. Big spool reels get started coming in. Yeah. I suppose that the terminal tackle, even though the hooks and the weights and all that design of the traces is very different now, I suppose to a certain extent it's based on the old patterns. It's just refined and got the quality of the materials is better, but I suppose the old patterns, the old ideas, were the ones that sparked it all off. I think you're right. Yes, I think you're right to say that. Yeah. Everybody's got this picture in the mind of. Uh, wire pattern osses with the boons coming off being what people used in the 50s and 60s but it wasn't quite as crude as that was it? No, no, it wasn't, no. Not as crude as that. No, it, so was, it, it was much more refined, the tackle oh, yes, people think. Oh yeah, yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think the main thing that happened to fishing was the, was the, the real, you know, and, and, and New, th new things about the reel coming off every month, virtually, yeah. yeah. But on the subject of the multiplier reels, when you look back, or when I look back to the multiplier reels I had, and I look at the multiplier reels you've got today, they're very much more sophisticated today. They were very basic back then, but having said that, there was less to go wrong with them. Oh, yeah, I think that there were... Oh, I can't remember the name. What was the, what was the famous... Mitchell. Yeah, well, that was fixed. Fix, well, the, the, the ambassadors. They were very good, actually. Yeah. I still, I still, still owned about twelve of them until when I sold all my tackle about um, two, a year or so ago. <laughs> the other thing that I suppose that would have been different in those days was that the means of getting about would not be as easy. Transportation. I think. Well, that's true, but I think that we, we were very fortunate that we were the first fishermen to have, have transportation like that. Because I used to travel in John Barrett's car everywhere, you know? And, we, and people, people started using cars a lot to go fishing then. 
all at the beginning of my serious fishing there, but when I was about 18 or 19. I remember reading accounts of yours where you used to go on the bus. Yeah. That was when we were about 16, 17, you know. And um, I remember really it was a terrible journey from, from Swansea to Carvin and the bus. But uh, we, but we, um, we thought it was great. I suppose on the plus side, when you're very restricted into the areas you can fish because transportation is not available to go further afield, it makes you learn more about your own patch. I think it probably does, yes. yes. Well, I'm sure we, 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 we learned a lot about Oxwich for a start. And on the sea, um, Worms Head, yeah. I'm sure it is, yeah. Yeah, I know Oxwich well, actually. Mm. I used to launch the boat at Oxwich. Yeah. There's a wreck just as you're going out on the right-hand side right, of the lake. Right, yes. You should catch a lot of triggerfish around the base of that. So let's talk about the quality of the fishing back then compared to what it is now. Was it easier to be a successful fisherman because there was more to catch? This is very hard for me to say because I haven't fished very much in the last year or two. But I think the development, the tackle development came very quickly. You know, rods and round, of course, reels. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have a problem. I don't think it was a, that kind of. I think that we were catching more fish later, you know, than earlier. Fishing now is not as good as it was back then, and I'm just sort of assuming that when you started, with there being less angling pressure, but there may have been more commercial pressure, I don't know. I just wondered if it was easier to get a result. Well, I haven't fished for a long time now, you know. I, I suspect, I don't know, I, I wouldn't really like to answer that question because I don't, I don't think. But obviously, the, the fixed pool reels and all that kind of thing made a huge difference to the fishing results one got. Yeah. Have you got a preference for the fixed pool reel over the multiplayer? No, I, I, I like I have no fun with the multiplier. Yeah. I notice on all the old photographs with you on, you've got the multiplier on. Yes. Yes, although I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sort of daft enough to, to condemn the uh, <laughs> other sorts of reels, you know. And what are your earliest recollections of the quality fish you used to catch in, in say, Oxwich Bay and around this area? The size of the bass and the numbers of bass you used to get. Were bass your primary interest? Yes, um... It's hard to remember that, but um, it wasn't easy fishing. It wasn't particularly easy fishing. And then you know you had to have conditions right. And although you, I, I don't know. I just, see. The trouble is, I don't know. It's like now, but it wasn't easy. I tell you that. And um, I think I only ever caught one double trick of bass in my in my whole life. Yeah. Bass off the shore. That was off the shore, yes. That was off Slade in. Is where Slade is in Gower? No. It's, it's near Oxbridge. It's still a very good fish, though, isn't it? I mm -hmm. mean, fish of a lifetime, a double figure bass off the shore. And did you have a, a primary interest in bass? Because I seem to remember a lot of the stuff we read 
there was very little photographic support to the stuff. It was nearly all words, as I recall, in angling times, and a lot of it was about the atmospherics, reading the conditions, reading the beach, trying to put people in the right frame of mind, pointing in the right direction to relate this to what they do on their patch. Yeah. That was the sort of thing that he was trying to get across. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Now you also had academic uh, ambitions to fulfil, so can you talk us through the balancing act of trying to get your, your qualifications, you went into school teaching I believe, and balancing that with the fishing? Well, I don't talk you through it, it seemed to happen, you know, that, um, I don't know, I, I, I can't really remember anything special about that. Well, that, that you went to Pembroke after Manchester? You yes, I, 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 I left... Um, a good job in Manchester, one of the grammar schools in Manchester, to go to Pembroke to fish, to Pembroke Grammar School. It wasn't even Pembroke Grammar School, it was just Pembroke School. So that, does, that, does that answer your question? There were, there were a bunch of people around then who just said about, what's the name that you said you went around, what's the name's Carr, uh, John Lindenberg, people like that. Yes. There was a group, what was you just said, and John, uh, the other guy's Carr, you said you were right. Roy Hager, John. Yeah, those yeah. guys. John Lindenberg, they were the two. But that's when I was teaching, and they were in sixth form. <laughs> but you, you, a lot of them, you wrote... Uh, a tide of fish yeah. around about that time, and a lot of those people were in the book. Yes, a lot of people. Yes, my, uh, my, I had just great friends Roy Hager, John Lindenberg, those two particularly. I, 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 if you've read some of my books, you've probably seen about it. Was the move to Pembroke Grammar School, was that motivated by the fishing or was that just an opportunity to get back to Wales and live here? It was because of the fishing. <laughs> full, full stop. That's what we like to hear. A man of conviction. I believe that one of the earliest things that you ever did in terms of writing was while you was actually doing all your academic stuff and it says here that your first significant piece of writing, or angling writing, was an MA thesis entitled The Literature of Angling, 1496 to 1750. Well, I couldn't answer that. I, I know I got an MA out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no recollections of writing that? No, no. absolutely none. I'm sorry, I don't know. No, 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 no. it's, it's obviously been etched on your mind, as, as all these academic things are. You showed it to me, Dad. You've shown me a copy of it. Did I? Yes, you obviously re-read re it not so long ago. I can hardly remember anything about it these days. So, you eventually became an angling columnist for the Daily Express, Angling yeah. Times and Creel. How did that come about? Was that something that you drift into, you're invited into, or that you actively pursued? Well, oddly enough, the, the Express was, it was a weird thing, you know. I, 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 um, I just rode out of the blue to them, saying that, you know, the, the more, pe more people go fishing than go to football matches. <laughs> and they took that bait like that and called me back over the phone and I became their, their fishing correspondent within a week or two. And what did that entail? Well, travel, fishing, and so on. Like as a columnist or... Pardon? Uh, as a columnist. Yeah, the type of writing done back in those early days is nothing like it is today. Everything's 
handed on a plate loads of pictures how to do this how to do it it wasn't like that back no, then no 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 yeah yes absolutely right yeah uh, any particular instructions as to what you to go and do or was, or was you given a free hand I was given a free hand completely and what was the reception in terms of the readership or the the actual editorial people was it a well it all went very well for, for a number of years um, I had a problem I, 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 I've forgotten most of this but what happened was I was doing the Daily Express column for a good many years and somebody sort of shorted me on it and I called I, I just done two pieces for the Americans and I got so fed up I, I rang in New York talked to the, the editor-in-chief and he made me an editor of it immediately <laughs> to operate out of prison but that only lost about a year before I went over to um, before I went over to America yeah. so did the work with Angling Times come after the, uh, the columns in the, in the daily papers or was that more or less running at the same time uh, no I think the, the, um, the Express and Saturday Times pieces came before the Angling Max. Yeah. yeah. And spectator as well. Right? And spectator as well. Spectator as well, yeah. And then it moved. You moved over to Creel, which was that Brian Harris in those days, or did Brian No, Harris that was. Um, oh God, what was his name? Not Brian Harris. Brian Harris did Angling Magazine. But didn't Creel turn into Angling Magazine eventually? No, no. Angling Magazine was going when Creel was. Creel only had about four, three or four issues. Bernard Venables is the editor of it. Bernard Venables, right. Oh. I, I just assumed that uh, Creel evolved into angling, but uh, no, no. obviously no, no. My, my notes are wrong. Absolutely. No. <laughs> but I take it that this type of magazine was a different venture to the, the columns in the daily papers because you'd got a proper article, something you could really get your teeth into. Absolutely right, yes. Yes. And how did you relish that idea? Was that better for you to get your message across? Well, I was... I had to earn a living, so I wrote for Daily Express. But I enjoyed writing for, say, Angling Magazine more. And obviously things have changed, as I said. Uh, everybody's producing loads of pictures. They've got to produce all their own illustrations. There was nothing like that back in those days. It was just purely the copy, I take it. There was a bit of picture taking, yeah. Yeah, there was a photographer called Michael Pritchard who did a lot of photos. Yeah, with you, Michael, yeah there was a guy called Michael Pritchard. We had, we had photographers working you know, full time on right, Angling right. Magazine. Yes. Yeah. I remember that trip we did, uh, the, the one I mentioned earlier, the Angling Times one at Tembe. There was a photographer supposed to turn up and nobody turned up on the day. Oh so we just went out in the face. It was a complete waste of time in, in terms of the magazines. Yeah. Uh, What's your take on the way things have progressed in terms of, of magazines? Have they, have they got better? Have you looked at any recently? No, I haven't w looked at British magazines for some time. You know? Right, right. It strikes me that, that everything is, is gifted to people on the plate. They treat everybody like idiots. You get step-by-step -step There's none of the old atmospheric stuff where we could read what you, when you'd been on the beach. You could actually feel as though you was with the writer that was telling you the story of what they'd done. There's not a, I mean, you surprised me. I didn't know that. Oh, it's, it's awful. Absolutely yeah. awful. Well, I'm sure it would be. But 
The, the other kind, of the, the second kind you mentioned, the, the reality on the beach is far more interesting than how to tie a hook on, isn't it, you know? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you can only tell people so many times and, and they've heard it all before. So you accepted this position in America? Yeah. Was it Sports Illustrated? Yeah. I believe that you mixed with all the, uh, the tops in, in the other sports as well as the fishing. It wasn't just about fishing, was it? The magazine wasn't just about fishing, obviously, you know, but um, I used to do a lot, a lot of other stuff, besides from fishing. I believe that you actually met Muhammad Ali, the Rumble in the Jungle. I did. Uh, I was very close to Ali. Uh, we were very good friends. Oh, we, became, we became, through the magazine, we became very good friends. And he used to ring me up and I used to ring him up and, you know. Hmm? I'm just trying to think of any particular... My recollection, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you did a lot of stories that wouldn't really be classified as an American sports. No. So you did a lot of horse racing and boxing. And yeah, I did a lot of other things besides boxing. I did, uh, you say, horse racing, football, which is a minority sport, though, anyway, you know, yeah. I did boxing, a lot of boxing. My recollection as a kid was that you seemed to have periods in different continents of the world. So you That's right, I did, yeah. And occasionally you get free rein to go and do some fishing as well. Oh, sure, yes. I'm right, I did. You know, I just told them I was going for a fortnight somewhere. <laughs> Anywhere in particular? Well, I just remember when I went the other way, I'd been somewhere. I walked into the office, and the, you know the piece had gone in. There it was, it was fine, and um, the editor said to me, "Where do you like to go next?" Somewhere nice, I suppose. I said, "Well, let me think about it." No, you're not thinking about it. You, you, you you're going to Outer Mongolia. Go upstairs and get the ticket now. <laughs> what were you looking for in Outer Mongolia? A timon? No, no, no. It was, it was fresh water. In Mongolia, yeah. It took me 12 hours you know, to get to this camp f from the capital. And we had a hell of a three, three camps of, of the locals. And they were all very nice. And I had a huge night of, you know, and then I woke up in the morning, they all disappeared. And they taken the car, they taken everything. And I don't know what the hell's going to hell to. And, but um, they came back after three days as if nothing had happened, you know? That's <laughs> out of Mongolia for you, yeah? And how did the fishing go? The fishing was fine. It was excellent. We'd never got a tame but it was good fishing. But it finished me for. You know the hunt for the taman? The, didn't you hunt for a taman all around the world? Didn't you go to you go to lots of different? That, yeah, I, I've got this memory of you spending a lot of years looking mm. for taman. Yeah, taman. taman. You, you, you know, have you, have you come I, across taman? No. How would you it's describe a taman? It's, it, yeah, um, it's the biggest member of the. Of, it's a, a member of the bass family. The bass family. It's, it's huge. Fresh water. It's it could could run. Into or double treble figures, you know. Well, I think I'm not sure. I don't think the world record did hit 
I think the world record is set in the 70s, 70s or 80s, you know. It's a huge fish. And did you get one? Yes, I did, yes. I got several, actually. <laughs> I went... That was one of the wonderful things about working for Sports Illustrated. Was you could say, look, I've got... Um, I've been taken over by the thought of Tayman. I want to catch you know, They sent me on Tayman trips for about a year. <laughs> Until I got it, uh, enough of it. And I stocked, stuck up a few, what, 80, 70 or 80 pounds. And that was good. Very good, actually. It's probably still a world record. I don't know. Yeah. I think well, the, the point about sports of this record was that they had huge budgets in those, in those days. So, as far as I can yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, your deal was to do 12 big stories a year, which would each be about 13,000 words. Yeah. And four of which would be about fishing. And would, he could choose himself. And the budget would be unlimited, so it would be anywhere. So there yeah. were stories in the Amazon, there were stories the Falklands before the Falklands war, there were, as you said, out of Mongolia, India, yes, Russia, a lot in Russia. A lot of Russia. I remember the first, first sort of angling in, in Russia was myself and a couple of other people, really, of the, of the far, far north of Russia, for salmon. And out of all the places you went to then, which, which are the ones that, well, went the best? Russia. You like Russia? Oh, yeah, I liked it. Well, it was the far north of Russia, so it was a camp. It, was, it wasn't really. It wasn't. It, it, you didn't mix with Russians particularly. It was just a camp, you know, and uh, and the Brits and Americans. It was, it was very expensive. Fortunately, I didn't have to pay for it, you know. And it was all salmon. All salmon, yeah, and it was only about a month of the year when, when the river froze over then. In you know, so you only had June really before the river froze, froze over. And, uh, I can then let me try to think of something more interesting about that. The the, ma uh, the companion I had on many, many fishing trips was um, a Gareth Gareth Edwards. He was my fishing companion on Some of the older anglers, the ones in the 60s and 70s, people like Gillespie, Montcrieff, Hugh Stoker, Kevin Linane, can you remember any? Yes, I can remember all of them, but, um, well, Kevin Linane was my closest friend. He was an Irishman. Yes, he was Irish. And he, he he was struck down by that terrible disease, which is motor neuron disease. What's it called? Motor neuron. Motor neuron disease. So that's what I, you know, that was the awful thing that happened to us, to, to him. What was it like as a person for developing the, the fishing island? I mean, I fished with Kevin myself. I've, I've known him for quite a long time. Yeah. We actually made a couple of films with him in the nineteen, the mid nineteen eighties. Yeah. At Phoenix. I mean, I've known he's been dead for a while, but what was he like as a person in the early days, opening up the, the Central Fisheries Board and opening up Ireland? As a person, he was full of fun, very, very, very... A, a great companion, a great friend. And it was a terrible thing when he was struck down by that disease. And what about Des? 
Des Brennan was the other Irishman that I fished a lot with too. That was Des was Kevin's boss at the Indian Fisheries. Yeah, yeah. Des was one of Dad's oldest friends from the fifties. Gillespie and Moncrief, do you remember these people? Yes, of course, yeah. Did you ever fish with them? Yes. Moncrief was the man with the, the big cast off the beach. Oh, yes, yes. And while we were catching bass, he was catching dogfish. <laughs> and he seemed to have a sort of opportunity not so dissimilar from yours insofar as as a... Was he, he, was, he was a journalist, wasn't he? He was journalist, he was doing foreign affairs. Writing for but he, he went to these places and did some fishing and so time. he was able to get access to places that you wouldn't otherwise yes. get yeah and um, in a way that's rather similar to you because what how about at SI you had some editors who were pretty sympathetic to fishing sorry you had at SI at Sports Illustrated you had some editors who were pretty sympathetic to the idea yes, of fishing were. stories yeah. So yes. they like fish, like me doing fishing stuff. So. Yeah, <laughs> and Art Brawley would be would have been one of those guys. Yes, and Roy Terrell. Yeah. Yes, yes. I was the kind of um, I was the fisherman on, on SI, which is a marvelous thing to be. You know, I, I just went fishing anywhere in the world. So. So can we you know, wrap it up now? I'm feeling a bit tired. Feeling a bit tired, and um, I think we've covered a lot of ground. On my drive home from Mumbles, I called in at Dave Lewis's house for a brew and a chat about some of the foreign fishing we'd done over the years. And during those conversations, I also asked Dave for his recollections of Clive. For although he wasn't into his sea fishing in a big way at the time when Clive was paving the way for people like myself and later him, he did spend quite a bit of time in Clive's company during the latter years. Having already looked at his legacy, he is probably the best placed person to comment on Clive Gammon the man and his influence at the start of the 21st century. Like many anglers of my year, I, I grew up reading Clive Gammon and he was such an inspiration to me and um, most anglers of my generation I mean he was reading his stories about bass fishing in South Wales and Ireland that sort of really got me into bass fishing because at one time for pretty much all of the 1990s I was pretty much a bass junkie I mean that's all I wanted to do was fish for bass and you know I read all Clive's books and the man was a great inspiration and I actually got to, to know him when he returned home from 20 odd years living in the States feel privileged as I became a friend I got to travel with him quite extensively uh, I used to go to Ireland quite often and some of my most memorable days of fishing have been stood in the Stranded Inch or Strad Bally or Gow Lane or Kilcummin or any of the other marvellous beaches over there with Clive to my right Des Brennan to my left and Kevin Lanane a little bit further along the beach I mean the other guys were absolute legends Sadly, Des and Kevin are no longer with us. But just to go fishing with those guys and uh, was it was a privilege. And to sit in a pub at the end of a day and just listen to the stories and most of the stories, the stories that I read in the books and hear that from you know, literally from the horse's mouth was a privilege. And I, I got to travel with Clive. We went down to Namibia. It was Clive that originally 
found Johan Berger on the internet. I fished with Clive in South Africa. God, where else did we fish? All over Ireland. I mean, we did quite a few trips to Ireland and uh, various other other places, and he became a good friend. Arguably, then, this was the man more than any other who brought sea angling and sea angling journalism through its transitional period from what we would now look at as being antiquated into today's modern era. Except that Clive Gammon wasn't able to pick a magazine up off the shelf or walk into a tackle shop to get what we so very much take for granted these days. It was people like him who pioneered that which we now take for granted, and as such, he more than deserves his place in modern angling history. Mm-hmm.